podcast is a quest for well-being, a quest for a meaningful life through the exploration of fundamental truths, enlightening ideas, insights on physical, mental, and spiritual health. The inspiration is love. The aspiration is to awaken new ways of thinking that can lead us to a new way of being. Being well. Welcome to Body, Mind, and Soul Healing Conversations. find yourself resisting life or feeling like something is missing? Do you find yourself looking for something more? If you're like Alicia Eichmann, you wish you knew the deeper meaning of life. You suspect it is there, but somehow it remains elusive. You've been to church, but somehow you didn't find the answers you were looking for. You feel your soul calling you deeper, but you're not sure what that means or where to start. Alicia knows exactly how you feel. She has been where you are, and her book, Becoming Spiritual, How I Found Empowerment and Inner Peace Without Leaving the House, is her story of how she got from discouraged and disillusioned to joyful, empowered, and free. Through Alicia's searching, she identified 10 major paradigm shifts for the spiritual seeker. These are mental and emotional shifts that she made that make up the essence of her spiritual transformation. In this episode, Valeria Tellis interviews Alicia Eichmann. Alicia is a writer, researcher, theologian, spiritual director, and life coach who is passionate about facilitating a shift in our cultural understanding of religion and spirituality. She writes and teaches on the practical application of modern spirituality in order to heal division, apathy, and despair, and help us chart a new way forward together. She has a master's degree in religious studies from Regent University and is a licensed growth coach with life-forming leadership coaching. Her professional background is in websites, marketing, and project management. She has nine years' experience as a marketer at SimonHouses.com and three years' experience as a research assistant for an internationally recognized New Testament scholar. In her book, Becoming Spiritual, How I Found Empowerment and Inner Peace Without Leaving the House, she shares the story of her journey growing up in the church, losing her faith, and then recovering a more flexible and resilient spirituality. She shares her story along with major spiritual paradigm shifts that she discovered along the way, including the authors that led her to them and guides the reader in beginning to make these shifts as well. Here is the interview with Alicia Eichmann. In your own words, who is Alicia Eichmann? Oh, wow. I would have to say that in this time of my life, I feel like I am first first a mother and second a wife and third a writer. And after that, a teacher. Um, I think at my core, I am a learner and a seeker. Wonderful. 
I have a few warm-up questions before we talk about your book, Becoming Spiritual, How I Found Empowerment and Inner Peace Without Leaving the House. <laughs> That's, I was like smiling when I saw this. So I guess my first question is, um, what is inner peace to you? Oh, wow. I love it. Going straight for the, the good stuff. Okay. For me, inner peace is like being able to sit still with yourself, with nothing, and just feeling at peace with the universe. And just being able to sit in that place where you're still and there's nothing. And it's like when you strip away all the thinking and the overthinking and all the emotions and all the, just the everything, if you strip everything away, what is the foundation that's left? When you strip everything away, what's left, that foundation is just this peaceful contentment, it, kind of an acceptance, just an acceptance of what is and just being able to access that place where you just sit and you're still and you just can accept and be at peace. Yeah. And I love that you said that word. Yeah, it resonates. Acceptance, surrender, letting go. They're all connected, right, in some ways. Yes. Yes. So my second warm-up question is, what is life? Well, I used to see life as much more of just the body the physical body comes into this world and then life is until the physical body leaves this world. But I've come to have much more of a perspective of, I don't know, I've been reading The Power of Now by Eckhart Tolle and just stuff about timelessness and the soul. And I think like the experience of the soul is just broader than I could say right now. So I would just say life is beautiful and bigger and more mysterious and amazing than we realize when we are in our busyness or than I realized before I kind of had my awakening. But I would say that life, the life that we normally think of, that we focus on, that is this physical lifetime in this physical body, that it is a gift, but it's also just one stage of our experience as a soul. That is interesting. I'll be asking you a question about the purpose of life in a minute. But before that, um, what is the opposite of life? Well, it used to be that I would have said death because that's like what it says in the dictionary. But after the the experience that I've had, which is what my book was about, um, after the journey that I've had, I'm 37. So after <laughs> after the journey I've had, I would say the opposite of life is like numbness, like being numb, being not awake. The more I get into this journey and this awakening, the more I keep thinking back to the movie, The Matrix tricks where he takes the red pill and kind of wakes up to a whole new reality. And the matrix is like this very contrived artificial material reality within a bigger reality. But I like to say that the reality that we wake up to fortunately is, is much better than what they wake up to in the matrix. But the opposite of life is like this numbness to everything that's possible. Yeah. It's pretty much the opposite of being awake and uh, it might be asleep. Yeah. Just not knowing. Yes, I guess. Yeah. I've kind of come to equate true life with being awake. And so, yeah, the lack of the opposite of that is more like being asleep or just being numb and asleep or almost medicated. I feel like in our, in our current society, we are actually over medicated in so many ways that 
I was just hearing more new things that I hadn't heard before about just all the different kinds of chemicals in so many different kinds of exposure that cause us to, I was hearing it in the context of the third eye, which is a concept I'm very new to, but just all the different ways that our current society in just every aspect of life just kind of conspires together to, to make us asleep to all the wonderful things that we're talking about. Right. Yeah. Uh, that makes me think about another question. Uh, why do you think society, they want that to happen? They want us numbed, as you put it. Oh, gosh. Okay. I was rereading my book and there were a couple things. I think every good writer rereads their book and is like, wait, did I say that? Wow, that was good. Wait, what? So I've been rereading my book and that's how you know it's it's inspired. <laughs> Don't want to sound proud, but when I when I write yeah. things, when I write things and reread them and I feel like they're inspired, I'm like, wow, wow, God, spirit, like thank you for making me a vessel. Like make me a vessel again because I'm a writer and I love writing and what anyways. So, let me see if I can try to succinctly answer that because that's a really good question. The in a rough broad strokes, I would say that the the ultimate reality and truth in life is love and that God, spirit, higher power, whatever vocabulary speaks to you, that higher power, that God, that spirit essence, the source of the universe, it is love. It is the same as love. I like to, I like to say that energy, everything is energy and energy is spirit and spirit is truth and truth is love and God is love. So everything is love. And I, I'm still studying and learning about the science of it, but kind of the theory that I'm that feels feels real to me is that somehow as we developed we in some sense we chose to separate from love and in the absence of love and that connection to god we use rational thought to create a false self so in my book i talk a lot about the soul versus the ego and i'm a huge believer in this concept and i feel like this dichotomy this is 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 the heart of the answer to this question. So we, as human beings, we came to a place where our default is to rely on a rational thought and to live from our ego and to be fearful. So I talk about like this in my book, I kind of talk about like the shift from this one place to this other place. So there's this ego focused, fearful mindset place that it comes from survival. Like it comes from coming from animals and that, that basic need to, you know, survive, but we developed rational thought and we're these very complex beings that have this spiritual side, but we also have this physical side and wholeness is all about balancing that. But basically we all start in that ego kind of false self reality and we need to come back and realign with love and humans default to that ego mind and the world is steeped in that ego mind. And so I'm still coming to grips with, it's like, I, I feel like I woke up to the matrix and I think everybody who wait, awakens has this, like, it's this jarring thought or it's this jarring state of mind to be in where you wake up to something beautiful, but then you look around and the majority of people are still asleep and you're just like, wow, what do I do now? Like, where do I fit? How do I speak to people who are on the other side of this? How do I find my people who are on the same side? How do I, how do I bridge this? But our journey in becoming awakened 
is constantly has to wrestle with this reality that the world, especially our Western culture in this, you know, 21st century, it's, I think it's been true through all of time. I think every generation has this challenge, but we're surrounded by this ego focused, false self, fearful narrative and just all the beliefs, the beliefs. Well, let me tell you the beliefs of the ego that can wrap this up. Wayne Dyer gives like six beliefs of the ego and the ego is like, I am what I have. I am what I do. I am what people say about me. I am defined by my separation from God, my separation from others and my separation from everything that I need. And so the opposite of all of that is how we actually want to live, which is that I am my soul. And then what I do and what I have and what people believe is just part of me living out my life. And I'm actually connected to God. I'm one with God. I'm connected to others. Like the two most sacred truths I found are our connection, our oneness with God and with others. And that is love. And if we could realize both of those things, Neil Donald Walsh has this great book called The Essential Path, where he like totally like kind of leads you up to it. And then he spells it out. And he's like, those are the two essential truths that would solve everything because the answer is love. And if we viewed ourselves as the one with God, instead of God being this like separate man, God out there, separate from us, that's looking down, judging us. Like if we could let go of that and we could let go of other people are separate and recognize our oneness and see ourselves in each other and reconcile with love, then like that's where our human race needs to go. And I think that spirit is awakening all of us. And I think the I think there's gonna be a um kind of like a snowball going down the down a mountain. <laughs> like I think it's gonna gain mass. I think I've heard Joe Dispenza and you know, all these wonderful people talking about how this is the next evolution of the human race and this is where the human race is going and we've got and I think we have to either go this route or we're going to destroy ourselves and each other and the planet. Wow. Yeah, maybe you you answer the question in a different way by explaining how this whole thing got started. That's how we came in, into this world and that we are driven by the ego mind. Now we we are in the world that that operates that way. So in a way, it's not that they are trying to uh, make or keep the world this way. These people is that that they're still asleep. They don't know. Like you have, you now know, and I maybe know as well. But a lot of people around us, they don't. I don't think they are trying to manipulate to try to um, keep us asleep. But the truth might be that they are asleep. Oh, right. Yes. I think it's because they don't see what we see. And that's why I've gotten to the point where my passion is about being a bridge. And I'm thinking a lot about being a bridge and about learning new things, but still staying connected to my roots. Because I believe that I grew up in the, the Christian environment and the Christian background and all of that. I wrestled with, why did I go through all that? And I'm like, that's because now I understand, I still understand, I still remember what it's like. I know what people in the church feel like, and I know what they believe. And I'm just, so yeah, to your point, I think they're, they don't see, it's not malevolent. They don't understand. They're not trying to hold us back. They're, it's, they're like a blind man trying to lead the blind, you know, like they don't know what they, what they don't see. Right. And you also mentioned fear. So there's a lot of fear when when we are afraid, we try to control. That's really the uh, the tool we use, right? Control. 
Yeah. And one quick point to that, like what I said about love being the ultimate, you know, just ultimate truth. I fear is the, the ultimate obstacle. Like, I think, I think fear, I, I learned this from Gabrielle Bernstein and Marion Williamson and some people who teach the a course of miracles. And I've become convinced that this fear love under dichotomy kind of is a very powerful tool and just, yeah, love is God. Love is everything that we want to be aligning with love leads us toward all the answers that we need. And when we're in fear, we're always on the wrong path. We're always making the wrong decision. We're always going in the wrong direction. We're always going to point other people in the wrong direction. And so now I look at our world and anything that engenders fear is going to be an obstacle that miss that leads people the wrong way. Hmm. That leads me to my next question. <laughs> is that possible to become fearless? Oh, I short answer. I would say it's definitely possible. And I mean, I've been, I looked up the list of the hundred most influential spiritual people today, and I've been trying to, you know, study them and read their books. And I read a little bit about, you know, uh, some interviews with the Dalai Lama, you know, and he's one of those people that I think, you know, I think that's what Jesus was like when he was alive. I think that's what Buddha was like. I think there, so I don't know how many of us achieve it. And I think life is all about that journey toward achieving it. So it's possible in more of a theoretical sense, but I think the, I don't want to say striving because striving is actually not the right energy, but the journey toward that, I think is why we're, we're here. Yeah, I like that. The idea of awakening. That's such a great word that has been used. Um, what is the meaning of freedom to you, Alicia? Freedom? Oh, okay. I love this. Um, okay. The meaning for me, so let me just, I'll just put a super personal um, slant on this since you you asked me, what is the meaning to me? And since that's kind of in the title of my book. Um, yeah. So real quick, I have been on a journey for the last eight to 10 years of Okay, so I was like kind of independent, going to school, planning to become a professor, had a plan for my life, um, fell in love, got married, finished my master's, and then just kind of decided to ha have a family first and then just see. So I'm kind of a career-minded person who who kind of just got off onto family and it was kind of values. And for a while I was like, why did I do this? Is, is it because family values is what people told me I should do? But I think more than that, I think it was, I do believe it was divinely ordered and it was like the journey of my soul. But anyway, so I got to a, a bottom point a few years ago where I was just really unhappy with being a stay-at-home mom. And I was working part-time from home and being a stay-at-home mom. And I was, I was depressed. I was really unhappy, but I was really wrestling with just, it, there was no easy way to solve it. There was no way to change it. There was no like, oh, well, I'll just put the kids in school and go back to work. Cause it was like the money numbers didn't work. And it wasn't like, I'll just get divorced. Well, I'm just not going to do that. And like, there was like, there was just, it was interesting. I kind of had this crisis and woke up to where like, I was just like, I don't like my life and I don't want to be where I am, but there is no big thing there's that I can just change about my life. So I went internally, I went inside and we hadn't been going to church for several, several years, partly because we'd moved across town and hadn't found somewhere, but we, we just weren't feeling it. And our kids were young and it was hard. And so we just, 
we weren't. And so I just went into this internal, like I started seeking my faith from like to recover from my faith, my faith from like a different direction. Just like I have hope, but I don't know. Um, I don't know any details about why I should have hope, but I'm just going to choose to have hope and to believe in something just and to search. And so I just searched and searched and searched. And to me, like the debt, like for me, the definition of freedom is something that I've found internally before my outside circumstances changed. And I, I have a whole year where I, I journaled on my old blog about just like, I can't change anything. So I have to change inside. And I really came to this point of just changing my beliefs and just, so I won't go into all the details because we can talk about those things separately. But basically I just kind of threw everything out the window, started over, started reading different people and just was really open and seeking and finally got to the point where I was ready to embrace something other than what I had grown up with, something that served the world that I was now growing up in and that my I think fits my generation and the struggles that we have. And basically for me, freedom was no longer still being in that house and still, well, I had the job, the job had become a toxic environment. So I had to let that go. And so I started my business, but I was still working from home with my kids, wrestling to have that balance. Um, still, like I loved my husband, but I was kind of tired of just like our life. But basically I found freedom internally in my internal world. And then the year after we moved and he switched jobs and I changed my job and the kids got to come home and homeschool with me. I wanted my big kids home with me. It was my little kids were driving me crazy. Anyways, basically freedom was this place that I came to internally on my own at home with books, without going to church, without talking to other people. I changed internally my perspective. And so I, I found freedom in my own mind. Oh, yes. And that's the only uh, kind of freedom that there is anyway, my opinion. So would you say that inner peace is freedom? Well, you know, as soon as you asked me that, I thought, wow, I'm going to describe inner peace. Um, <laughs> I think, yeah. yeah, well, okay. Well, I think this would bring me back to the concept of acceptance. I'm really, you know, in the book, I say something like acceptance is a spiritual superpower or something. It's right up there with faith and love and joy. Like, acceptance is just, I, I'm, it's related to surrender, but it's simpler. I think, I don't know when I finally accepted so many things, it was like, yeah, I would just say that when you come to the place of acceptance, then you're free and then you can rebuild. I think because with acceptance, you let go of all the baggage and you let go of your limiting beliefs and you let go of your anger and you let go of your fear and you let go of your Judge, judgment is a huge thing. Gabrielle Bernstein has a great book about judgment detox. And I was like, I didn't read it for a long time because I was like, what? The whole book's about judgment? That sounds negative. And then I finally was ready to read it and I read it and I was like, oh my gosh, letting go of judgment is like the path to acceptance. And so it just, it all ties together as far as how we view other people and letting go of judgment. So anyways, when you, when you practice acceptance, when you strip everything back away, then I think you're free to rebuild without the baggage. And I think, yeah, peace is, it's all wrapped in there together, I guess. That is so true. Yeah. Acceptance creates this space so we can see the possibilities. Yes. Yes, exactly. I love that you said space because 
I just want to say, I think the spiritual journey and like emotional and mental health, we need space. And our modern world conspires against giving us space. And I know this the release date on this is going to be later, so I don't, I'm not going to go into the coronavirus stuff much, but obviously this is a phenomenon that's happening. And I'm just, the only thing I really want to say about that is that I'm super intrigued by the fact that it is making so many of us create space. And so once I figure out what to talk about, I've been thinking about it a lot. I haven't been blogging as much as I've been thinking, but my main thought is like, wow, this space is a gift for those of us who are receiving that gift. We also need to be praying for those who are crazily working on the front lines. But for so many of us, we've been given the gift of space. Yeah. My next warm-up question, um, I'm almost there with them. What is the most important person in your universe? Wow. The most important person in my universe? Okay. I'm totally going to say that that is my husband. My husband, I love him. He is amazing. And I think because I've read Carolyn Miss talking about sacred contracts, and I think whether you believe some things or not, I think there's so much power to myth and mythology and just the story. The stories we tell ourselves are really powerful. And I think with some myths, like the exactness doesn't even matter so much, but She talks about soul contracts and sacred contracts. And she talks about how before we come in, into this life, our soul makes contracts with other souls to have us to help each other have a certain journey and learn a certain thing and grow in a certain way. And like my husband is not on the same page right now with me with so many of my spiritual beliefs. But I I had a season where I didn't know why. And I really had to choose to just trust and accept it, even instead of being disappointed or judgmental or whatever. And then I finally came across these beliefs, you know, that I found Carolyn Miss at, when I was supposed to find her and she's amazing. And she talks about this. And I was just like, wow, I, I believe that my husband and I were meant to find each other and that he's been, I don't know if foil is the right word, but like when you have characters that have a certain role in each other's you know, narrative. I see how he, and I won't get into details, but like, I'm not homeschooled. He is homeschooled. At some point I realized the effect public school had on me. And I realized that was one thing that appealed to me about him. He's much more of like a free spirit and the rules are just a suggestion and let's go camping. And I was a straight A student who tried to make everybody happy. Um, And so just on so many levels, I see how I feel like we were divinely put together. Like I, in the dedication to my book, I say, you know, I would not be who I am if it wasn't for him. Um, and so I choose to accept that his journey is different than mine and not judge that his journey doesn't look a certain way from a certain perspective. And I think because of that, I've been able to receive this gift of, of him being the perfect, like we were both grew up Christian and like, we're supposedly Christian when we got married. And he is like, unique in the way that he has been able to be with me and the incredible, like he is the perfect person to, for me to have been able to get married when I was 21 and I didn't know what I was going to do. And then for me to have the journey that I've had, like, yeah, he's special. So he's my person. 
That's wonderful the way you talk about him. Um, what would you say if um, somebody answers myself to that question? Oh, well, I would just say that that is an equally valid, beautiful, just different take on answering that question. I love that. <laughs> um, do you believe that in order to love others, we need to love ourselves first? Definitely. In, in principle, in principle, I, I think, I think there is, I think there's grace and I think there is so much mystery and so much flexibility. And I think someone probably has a story about how they loved someone else unconditionally. And that was the catalyst for them to learn to love themselves. But, but I, I, my immediate thought is that I, something that I just have a radar for is I see how theology, especially typical evangelical church theology and the Bible get interpreted in ways that are simplistic and end up being harmful. So my first thought is the Bible doesn't say love God and others and oh, maybe yourself too. What that teaching is supposed to be is loving God, spirit, and having that communion with God, with spirit, and loving others as you love yourself in an equivalent way and now I see how that speaks to that truth that we are all one and on a certain spiritual level. So, yeah. yeah. What do you think is the purpose of your life? Oh, wow. I love your question so much. This is fun. Okay. The purpose of my life at this point, I have come to believe that I believe that I'm here right now to help facilitate a, a discussion and, and an understanding and just kind of a, a development and a coming together of religions and spiritual traditions. I am fascinated by the fact that you study all the different world's religions and spiritual traditions, and you get the same core spiritual truths, all the same spiritual truths are the same. And the experience, the core truths and the core experiences are the same. And so I've come to a place where I, I see clearly, I don't, <laughs> don't want that to sound whatever, but what I see that I want to speak to, what I see clearly is this bigger perspective where God, spirit, all throughout time and throughout the world has been speaking and revealing, I'm going to say himself just because English makes you pick a pronoun, but um, revealing himself to people groups and tribes and nations where they are in a way that they understood. And that was powerful and beautiful. But now, like in the last, because of technology and transportation and communication and then the internet in the last century, like we have come to this unprecedented place where all these beautiful people who had all, all these wonderful, beautiful, separate religious traditions, are, we're all coming together. We're all mixing. You can study Japanese. You can talk to your Muslim neighbor next door. You can have a Jewish neighbor living on the next door next to you on the other side. Like there's, um, there's this mixing of traditions. And I believe really strongly that something our generation has to confront is that we are going to have to let go of some of the exclusivity in our religions and to let go of feeling superior and just judging other 
groups and other teachings and other traditions, we totally need to flip our script and our perspective and the way that we see each other in order to create a world that we want to live in and stop fighting and judging and et cetera. We need to flip that. And so I believe my purpose is to figure out, I, I think that I'm a writer and a teacher. I like doing coaching, trying to figure that out. That's kind of like a short-term theme, but I think I'm here to help. And so my, my background is in Christianity and I have a master's degree in biblical literature, but now I've been reading all this spirituality stuff and I've been reading Wikipedia, trying to figure out where my beliefs actually fit. Cause I read all these authors and I'm like new thought, you know, this, that, and I'm like, Oh, this is from Hinduism. This is from Buddhism. But I love Wayne Dyer. I love how he was kind of outside of all the religions and found spirituality through his journey through psychology. And I think I see myself in kind of a similar role, like I want to be outside the religions and help them to have a bigger perspective and to talk to each other. It's an interesting journey <laughs> uh, to be to be on. What do you think is the purpose of life? Do we all have one purpose in the end? Mm. I think that very simply the purpose of, well, I would give you two purposes for life. One very simply is to realign with love and to be love and to live from love, to align with love. God is spirit, is love, is truth, like love, to be love, to be in love, to exhibit love, to radiate love, to be the ones who are able to release fear and just live fearlessly through love. And whenever you're trying to let go of fear, you realign to love. That's how you release fear. It's it's love. Um, and I think that that's the reason we're all here. I think the, the secondary reason, the myth that I am just intrigued by is this idea that every every soul, that each of us comes here to heal and to learn and to grow things that were that that our soul wants to learn. So I got this from Gary Zukav, The Seat of the Soul, and I've been looking for other kind of independent corroborating sources, but I, I love the spirit of the myth, which is just this idea that a greater knowing of us, our entire soul came to this body for a reason that we don't remember and is guiding our path. And that it's very much a co-creating. When you talk about fate or destiny, it's co-creating. There's a path, but we also choose it. Um, but our soul is here to learn and to grow and to heal and that, you know, if you don't like your, your parents and think you should have been born somewhere else, that's your ego. Your soul actually has a purpose for that. And if you awaken, like when I hear Wayne Dyer talk about how his father abandoned his mother and how he grew up in foster homes and Crystalline Compton, I hear her talk about her relationship with her father. And th the people who wake up who are enlightened, they look back on their life and they thank everyone in their life, in their past that supposedly did them harm or did them wrong because they see them now as having a soul contract as it were to foster some kind of growth or learning or experience that they like, it's like the, the iron sharpens iron or the, you know, the crystal has to get ground in order to get beautiful. Just like it's challenge that shapes us. Everyone who goes through rough things, I've heard Rob Bell say, you know, people, it's hard for them to say, but they they find themselves not wanting to say it. But the thing on the tip of their tongues is that they're they're grateful for that awful thing that they went through. <laughs> that makes sense. Yeah, I think the question is, 
this just um, keeps going forever in a way. If we don't learn the lessons, then we keep coming back. Is that the idea? Um, well, I think I'm still reading about it, but I would tell you roughly, I think that maybe there's kind of an old understanding of karma that's very old Hindu historical. And I think our generation is going to kind of reinvent and readopt that concept of karma. And I think it's just going to be less of a like, oh, crap, I didn't do well enough. So I have to come back. What do I have to come back as? Not so much that, but more of just this sense that our soul is on an, its own evolution. It's on its own journey. And it comes in like a higher form or in a more awakened form, I should say, each time. And I've I've been reading different people and some people talk about how some, you know, at some point you don't come back, you stay in that spiritual space because you don't need to learn lessons in the physical world anymore. Um, and I, I'm still grappling with that. I love talking about it. I don't know what I think about all that, but I think I think what, what matters is how it makes us feel. If we hear myths or we have hear ideas or we hear a story about karma and it makes us feel anxious, well, then that's not serving us. But it makes us if it makes us feel hopeful, then there's something there for, for us. Yeah, I like that, Alicia, the way it makes us feel. I love what you said because that's what I go by. <laughs> um, what was the intention? Because you already talked to me about the inspiration for your book, but what was the intention to write Becoming Spiritual? So that's actually pretty much a short answer. I love your questions. So I want to ask, let you ask as many as you can. The actual, the reason that I wrote my book was to explain myself to myself and my friends and family and anybody else, because I'm mean, honestly, your podcast, like this episode is one of the first times besides my book, I guess, where I'm really starting to just go ahead and say these things that I've been reading, but I was like nervous to say, because I feel like so many people knew me where I was in Christianity and I'm not a textbook Christian anymore. And I basically wrote this book to explain that so that now I can go talk about karma or energy or chakras or archetypes, all these things I'm really excited to talk about that I'm nervous to talk about. I can go talk about them. And then if people are like, where, where, what, where did, where did this come from? I can be, ah, I read a book for that. I wrote a book about that. You can go read the book and then catch up. <laughs> right. So really that's why. <laughs> I like that. Um, do you ever use the word, do you still use the word God? I've been thinking a lot about that. And I, right now I find myself saying God and then clarifying spirit or saying spirit that is God. Um, the Rob Bell wrote a book called What We Talk About When We Talk About God. And I really love that book. And I wish that every time I said God, I could put like that book as a footnote. Because he talks about how God is for us and with us and ahead of us. And I think he talks about how this concept of God is what it, it's, it's bigger and it's more mysterious and it's more all encompassing. And it's not owned by the Judeo Christian Muslim, whatever, like it's not owned by those religions. Like God is outside of that. So I'm becoming more and more nervous about just saying God, because I know that that can invoke certain ideas. But at the same time, I like his thing where Rob Bell is like, hey, we all, if I say God, we all know that we're talking about this concept of a spiritual higher power. 
Um, so I kind of, I'm careful how to use it. I'm really all about having a conversation. I want to have a conversation about like God and spirit and what does that mean to us and how does that serve us? And if we don't like those words, why don't we? Yeah, right. So let's talk about the shifts. I have all of them here in front of me. And the first one is from fear to love. And I guess you have been talking about this this entire time, right? Yeah. Love, fear and love. Do you have something that you have not, you didn't say before in this conversation about the first shift? Um, I think the only things that, I, the only thing that I would want to add is if people want to know where to start, I would tell them that's a good place to start because it's just so fundamental and it starts with your emotions and you can apply it and it's a good starting place. If I'm feeling fearful, how can I react out of motive? You know, and it's like if, if I find myself being afraid or anxious and then you're asking yourself like in this moment, how can I focus on loving myself or loving others or feeling aligned with spirit, but it's usually loving myself or loving others. If I'm loving myself, what am I going to say to my husband? If I'm loving my kids, what if, if, instead of being afraid of how I'm viewed as a parent and doing something, if I'm loving my kids, what am I doing? And like to me, that ought to, like that's the that's a good way to start thinking about that shift. Yeah, and it is. I agree. Uh, I guess a question that came to mind is about about fear is. Do you think that fear has a uh, positive, a beneficial purpose? Yes. I I would just want to say that broadly, like, I think fear and pain and suffering and all of the negative, like some would say that fear is kind of like the, all the negative things flow out of it. It's just, so it's kind of represents all, all the negative things. I think they are, they're a foil for our growth and our character. I think if they, I kind of want to just give a blanket answer of like, if we didn't need to grow, if we were all perfect, we would all just be angels in heaven with spirit and we wouldn't be on a journey. And so I think fear, my main answer would just be just that sense of like, we need a foil for growth. We need that catalyst. We, um, but then uh, the other side of that, I would say, I think that there is a fear that's different than what I'm talking about that is more of like um, nervousness and excitement and just kind of a healthy a healthy part of being alive. I think there's part of it that I wouldn't want to totally dismiss because when you're afraid, like, okay, truth be told, I was nervous today all day on and off about this podcast interview. I was nervous about this all day, but I never felt so alive. And every time I stopped to think about it, I was like, wait, Alicia, what have you been wanting? You've been wanting to find people who want to have this conversation and have this conversation. And she wants to, she wants to have this conversation. I'm like, oh, right. And so then like just that mental shift shifted it from like fearful, anxious to excited, anxious. Hmm. I like that. I love the way you say it. So it's not about pushing away fear anyway, in any way, but just understanding and working with fear. So they can become lessons. And also you, the other side of fear in a way you're saying is the excitement. This, uh, it makes us feel alive in a way. So that's beautiful because yeah, you're right. If there's a, we are in a dangerous situation, um, there's no other feeling to feel, right? But fear. 
Yes. I've heard it said that when you're afraid, you should just breathe into it. Just breathe and breathe and just kind of try to turn it into excitement or whatever that like positive emotion is. It's like bordering it. Yeah, I like that too. So the second shift from ego to soul, I think you have been talking about this as well. Uh, let me see if I have a question, a specific question about the ego. Uh, is this also what we call the false self? Yes, I'm, I'm using it equivalent to that. And I think there's, there's one main thing I would want to say about this, and this is that it's about identity. And I think the, um, I don't know, Eckhart Tolle was the first person that I read who kind of, in the beginning of The Power of Now, he talks about, he tells his story and he talks about how he had, he was, he was depressed and he had this moment where he thought, I'm so sick of myself. And he thought, wait, who is the me that's sick of me? Are there two of me? Like what's going on? And I think from ego to soul, the point of that is shifting your identity. And I think I would just say, we all have two voices in our head and we're always going to have two voices in our head as long as we're like human beings. But the simplest way that I would explain it is that this is about shifting your identity from like, I am a human who's fearful and worried about survival, who is here just to survive and just <laughs> to be here and to be what I have and what I do and to be separate from others, shifting your identity from that to, I love the way Wayne Dyer talks about it in The Power of Intention. He talks about how you can choose to make the shift to seeing yourself as a spiritual being having a human experience. And he says, then you get to live on the active side of infinity. And I read that part of his book and it changed my life. And I made that shift. And I would tell you to pray and seek spirit and sit with spirit and lean into that shift because, um, and it's, it's part of this is about leaning into spirit and in your heart and telling your mind that it can relax and it doesn't have to mentally intellectually exactly understand everything or have scientific evidence for everything. Like that's not actually how we need to live life. And just, if you can shift your identity from that ego, false self, rational thought, chatterbox in your head to that is a part of you and it can serve a purpose. But if you can shift your identity to like, I am a soul, I am a spiritual being, I am in this physical body for this season, for reasons that I will uncover, that's the heart of that shift. It's about identity and where your identity is. And then you have those two voices and you learn to see the dialogue in your head differently. And you see your ego and your false self as just a chatterbox that's just trying to help you. It's like fearful. It's like a fearful side companion. And now you're driving and it's not in the driver's seat anymore, but it's still going to chatter at you. And you can have this conversation with it like, oh, thank you for pointing that out. I do need to watch out how close I am to the water. Or thank you for pointing that out. But having this hard conversation is not a tiger that's going to eat me. Yeah, you know, that makes me think about thoughts. So good or bad thoughts. What are thoughts to you? Oh, wow. Well, should we go into the third shift? Because that makes me think yeah. about energy. So yeah, the third shift from matter to energy. Well, this, this makes me think of something I want to say about energy, which is that our thoughts and emotions are energy. So in our physical being, like within our physical being, we have a spirit, a consciousness that resides in it. And, and you can get into fun stuff with chakras, but right now we'll just keep it simple. Like there's a consciousness, there's a spiritual soul that's in you 
But if they put, if the scientists put you in the EKG or whichever machine it is, they can't find that spirit in any physical part of your body. And so I don't understand all, I mean, you can, people map it different ways that are really helpful, but just generally speaking, like you have a spiritual consciousness that's a soul that's in your body while you have breath that continues to exist spiritually when your physical body dies. And you have this powerful relationship between your physical body and your soul. And somewhere in between those is your mind and your spirit and your soul. And somehow like I've learned to listen and watch that conversation in my head. And there are thoughts that come from the ego that are chatter and they're, they're kind of from the collective unconscious and they're kind of, I have thoughts in my head that are not really mine. They're my parents or their societies, or they're my husband's, or they're all the things, all the shoulds. I should do this. I should do that. I should do this, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Um, but then when you awaken and you come on this journey and you learn to listen to your soul and your heart and you, you f- take advantage of space and you listen to the still quiet voice, you, Stephen Pressfield says something funny about this. He says something about how he's like, I didn't have an original thought until I was, I don't remember if he said 30 or some age, but he was talking about how chatter is all we hear in our mind until we learn to quiet it. So I would almost say there's, there's, there's thoughts that are chatter. And then there's thoughts that are more like spirit, but I would say that you need to pay attention to that. And that thoughts and emotion, thoughts become emotions and emotions become actions. And so thoughts are energy which I don't understand well enough to get into, but I know that that's important, <laughs> that thoughts are energy. Okay, so thoughts and energy. I, you said something interesting. So listening to the right voice, let's say the right thoughts, so the ones that are more beneficial to our lives, it would take wisdom to distinguish these voices. How do we know? <laughs> yes. And you know, kind of what I just said, I have learned to start to pay attention to the feeling and that's another, that's one of the later shifts is from kind of, it's about, I think it's intuition and something. It's about. Yeah. From reason to intuition. I like that. Seventh. Yeah. Yes. That one, that shift is about the heart and the mind. And I think in, in Western society, we've kind of overemphasized and overprioritized and we, we overvalue the mind and rational thought. And part of our healing for our society, I really believe, is that we need to recover our heart intelligence. And for me, I find part of that is there's really something to listening to yourself and trusting yourself more and paying attention to your emotions. And so with the whole thoughts, I've been practicing this for a while now, and I would recommend it. You you practice just paying attention to your thoughts and just catching them before you just let them go all the way through your system without noticing, catching them and realizing how they make you feel and 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 paying attention to where they're going to take you. If, if I feel this negative thought and then it makes me want to be grumpy with my kids, wait, let me come back and recenter on gratitude. Let me reframe that original thought. Let me replace that thought with another one that makes me feel aligned with love and peace and joy and gratitude and accept, acceptance. Right. And that's the part of the second, the fourth shift, you talk about acceptance. They, we have been talking about from resistance to acceptance. 
And that is true. Um, there's no way a shift would not happen, right? With this state of mind, it's almost impossible not to. It changes perspective immediately. I was just going to say, I love that one. And I actually, resistance and acceptance is actually, I actually found that before fear and love. I found Stephen Pressfield because I'm a writer and he, he, he writes these books. It, Stephen Pressfield has some great nonfiction books for writers about creativity. And I feel like he's one of those who he's talking about spiritual things, but he doesn't, he does it without saying it. But he just talks about how he talks about writer, writer's block. And basically, like, do the work. It's a whole book about resistance and then the artist's journey. And by the end of the artist's journey, he's really talking about spiritual stuff. He's talking about the soul. Um, but just when you recognize resistance, it's it's resistance comes from fear and it comes from the ego and it comes from the false self. And it's like, I love the way Stephen Pressfield talks about it because he, he talks about resistance like it like it has legs, like it has substance to it. And I think when you realize everything is energy, it does have substance to it. But there's also um, assistance, which he he talks about. There's resisting forces, but then there's also assistance, which is just this idea that the universe has your back, which I love. But yeah, the best way that I can explain it is that I felt like internally, like there was this cog or this wheel in me that was always turning backwards And it was like, my husband wanted to go camping or the kids wanted to do this or people wanted whatever from me. And it was like something in me was always turning backward, resisting everything. And when I really had this whole experience, I got to this point where once enough of this sunk in and I really started to come to that place of acceptance, it's like I felt like the wheel started turning the other way and anything anybody asked that was reasonable, like normal stuff, like let's make, let's make let's make dinner let's wake up in the morning you know let's whatever let's potty train the child like um you know it turned it was I was turning the other way of just acceptance and just more of this like ready to live life ready to be alive ready to like throw something at me I can catch it like ready to embrace and and that is like like I feel like if I could give people one thing or one feeling or one hope I would give them that because that was what got me out of depression really into hope was like that internal, like, I wish people, I could give people that feeling. And I want people to know if they have that feeling of it going the wrong way, they can, it, there's hope. Just keep, keep with it. You can shift it to turn the wheel to go the other way where you're not fighting life. You're flowing with life and you're ready and you're going to give, give it a try. I don't know. It's hard to explain. Yeah, I like that. You know, I love that um, idea, the state of mind of acceptance. I'm just wondering if this could be confused with um, giving up or compliance or... Ooh, so yeah. Well, any powerful concept has so many powerful nuances. So yeah, I think, I don't know, that makes me think about energy because that's something that really helped me with... um, it's almost like this is like three dimensional or four dimensional, or it's like you get one, you get get it going one way, but then you also need to align it another way and another way. And that really helps you zero in. So acceptance, you, you want it to be this peaceful thing. You don't want it to be this apathetic or lack of hope thing. Um, and I find with, I don't know. I've heard really good things about energy 
that are just like when you have it's a balance and you walk it with spirit and it, it takes it takes time but if you're striving and you're anxious it's good to slow down or to even just sit for a minute and kind of realign and and that that part's that part's hard because the the physical material world is so ever present and around us but i believe there is spiritual assistance there are beings available you know to assist us there prayers every prayer is answered i believe um by spirit and so we don't want to be striving but we want to be active and yeah i don't know if i can now this makes me want to write a blog post because I'm not sure about that. I would just, I would just say that there's different dynamics to it and pay attention to how you feel and acceptance is not, um, I think the, the message is different for different people. And this is where it's, it's fun to, to talk to people individually, because depending if somebody told me, talked about, res- sounded like they were resisting life or, or talked to them about acceptance, but if they were talking about not wanting to do anything, I would talk to them about like, what gives you joy? What makes you creative? How could you get taking, started taking action? You know, can we talk about how you're here to, to practice your gifts, to pursue joy? When you love yourself, you free yourself to do whatever kind of artistic, creative things speaks to you, regardless of whether anybody else will ever see it. Um, you know, or even if it's just finding beauty, finding nature, finding, you know, kicking a soccer ball into a goal for me, like, or racquetball, you ever hit a racquetball and there's like, just like that, you get that certain sweet spot and it's just satisfying. Even if nobody's watching, I think, um, I think acceptance could be the antidote for a certain kind of place. But I think what you're speaking to best thing I could say right now is there might be another place where they need the right kind of action and creativity and to, to get moving, to get going, to find joy, to seek joy, to get moving. For some people, they're moving too much or in the wrong way and they need to sit and accept. And for some people, sitting is not good for them and they need to proactively seek out some of these life-giving things. Yeah, no, you're right. It depends on the individual, that unique right, life force, right? We can speak for everyone. So the shift um, number five, the fifth shift, that, that's the word. You use apathy. Yeah, that's exactly the word. The opposite in a way of um, acceptance. Yes. And I, I got this from Wayne Dyer's book, The Power of Intention. He just talks about, like, I feel like intention, I would put it up I would kind of group it with the ideas of visualization and creativity and imagination. And to me, the coolest thing about, okay, so this kind of goes with this idea of like sitting still, but what are we thinking? Intention is this idea that like, if I set my intention that I'm going to exercise tomorrow or that I'm going to write a book or that I'm going to raise my kids in a certain way, or I envision a certain I envision a certain experience that I want to create or that I want to facilitate. Like if I set my intention that I want to do this thing, like there is energy and power in just my mentally and emotionally and spiritually just setting that intention and be like, I intend 
to do this thing. And it has the force of my will, my authority, the dominion I have over my life, the um, creative force that I have. Like we, we are more powerful than we realize. And however much we realize, we are more powerful than that. We are very powerful creatures that have been <laughs> subdued and put to sleep and whatever. Um, we're very powerful. And so our thoughts and emotions, when we kind of put them into a fine pointed arrow and we aim them at something and say, I intend to do this, that has force and power. And if, if it is motivated out of love, the force of the universe will align with you. Things will come into place. Spirit will bring people to assist you. There is power in that before you even start doing anything. And I think that is a spiritual principle. And maybe that can add, you know, some good add to what we were just talking about. Um, and honestly, I was excited about that. And then I was literally just trying to think like, what's the opposite of that? Cause I needed a word <laughs> for my shifts. And I was like, I think the opposite is apathy because it's kind of that it's, 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 you don't care. You don't care. It's, it's a lack of hope. It's a lack of intention. It's a lack of a plan, just apathy. Um, I used to try to define my enemy because um, Bo Eason talks about that. Bo Eason's enemy is mediocrity. And so I was trying to think of what my enemy, he's like, you, he's like, you need a compelling enemy that you can fight your whole life because people love that and they'll get on board with that. So I used to try to think, and when I always used to think about that, I always thought about despair or apathy or just this lack of motion and this lack of hope. Cause I was in despair and I found my hope. And so you, what you want to help people find, you know, what you've, what you found the, the place that you were at, that you got out of, you want to help other people not be there. And to me, apathy in some ways, I feel like, Oh, if I could help people not be there, that's just the worst because the lack of hope, the lack of a plan. Um, I don't know, remember who said it first, but people, um, without a vision, people perish. It's so true. And that's why so much of our society today, we have so many discussions about finding meaning. And I think you would, you would agree. Like I, now I see how there's so much discussions about finding meaning, but at the same time, they don't want to say spiritual, include spiritual ideas or spiritual language. And that's one of my soapboxes is like, we need to bring, uh, Carolyn Miss talks about how we're missing sacred vocabulary and we we need words that describe sacred things. And without those words, we need to bring those words back into our conversation. And I'm like, yeah, we can't talk about meaning without talking about spirituality. And I think we're burnt out on God, but we need to re-envision God and whatever words help us do that. Like we need to recover that because we need meaning, but our, our world's trying to find meaning without spirituality. Yeah, you're absolutely right. There's a lot of conversations about meaning, but we leave out the, uh, the spirituality for some reason. Some people resist. It goes back to that word, resistance. They don't want to know even because it has to do with the unknown, right? So fear sets in. Yeah. I would see that as part of my purpose. I want to get us back to the conversations that we need to have. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Tell me about it. <laughs> So I, I just want to say I love what you're doing because I feel like you're doing that. And part of my goal right now is to find the people and meet the people and just connect and just be encouraged by the existence of the other people who are doing that. Because I think. Yeah, thank you. We are at the end of the conversation because of the time, only because of that. 
but I have some other questions to ask you here. So that was the last, you just spoke about the last shift. There was the fifth shift, which is not the last one. You have 10, uh, 10 of them. So would you like to mention them or mention something about them? Yeah, so the sixth one is from separation and duality to holism. Uh, yeah, and the seventh one, reason to intuition. I kind of already talked about that. That's with the heart and the mind. Um, and then the ninth one, I already talked about that, isolation to connection, this idea of, of viewing ourselves as connected to each other instead of separate from each other. And then um, the tenth is about being being a creator instead of created, being instead of being an object, being uh, a co-creator of our world. Um, and then the eighth is the only one, I just want to say like, just a quick thought about that. The eighth one is, is about a, a shift from viewing power as external to power as inside of ourselves. And I would just leave you with that thought of just, I think the world conspires to to raise us in a way where we, we view power outside of ourselves. Um, you know, the, the political leaders have it, the religious leaders have it. You need to be under an authority. Other people have authority. They tell you what to do. Power is outside of yourself in so many ways. And just the, a, a, a dynamic of this journey is recovering your own, your own power, bringing, bringing, internalizing much more of a sense of empowerment. Oh, I love that. It resonates. Yeah, resonates truth as truth. So my final questions to you, Alicia. Um, what was the hardest lesson to learn about yourself? Well, I can tell you there is one that is has been just the most challenging because it's just the most ingrained in me and it's just the hardest to unlearn. And that is the one about switching from your mind to your heart, from reason to intuition. Because um, I am just, I'm, I'm the book smart nerd, teacher's pet, straight A student, know all the answers, good at taking tests, just very intellectual. Um, so I've just really been on this journey of learning how to, I, don't, I, I do a prayer most mornings where I kind of you know, I learned it from yoga where you put your hands together and you just kind of bow your head to your heart a little bit and just kind of submit your head to your heart intelligence. And I pray and ask my heart to, to open up and to come back to its place and to help me find balance. So that one I'm really passionate about personally. And I think, you know, maybe I could write a whole book just about that at some point once, once I get farther down the path, because I've heard it say that that's a soul sickness for our, our, Western world. And, and I think it's, I think it's true that we just so much over prioritize reason and we don't listen to our heart and that there's, there's a balance to be found there. And for me, that's the hardest. Cause, and that's just, that's just my story. <laughs> it's just, yeah. it's hard and it takes a lot of discipline. So yeah. In practice, right. What is another word for healing? I would say growth. Yeah. So I have two questions on, yeah, I'll ask you this one. If you knew you would die soon, meaning losing the body, would you make any change in your life or do anything differently? Oh, man. Okay. Well, yeah, my current story is I'm very, very dependent on living for another like 50 years because I 
because my I've got four boys and they're 10, 8, 5, and 3. And I am very much wrestling with this, like, I want to go speak at conferences. I want to bury myself in my office for two weeks straight and start writing a book. I want to go do stuff. I want to talk to people. I want to interview people. I want to go do this stuff. But I believe that I am in a season of being home with my children. And right now I spend like 10 to 15 hours a week on all this stuff that I'm excited about, but I believe I'm supposed to be here with my kids. And I'm, I'm still finding all the purpose to, I think this is supposed to be a long season of me reading and writing and kind of internalizing and having my journey so that then I can share it. So to answer your question, that's my plan. So if I was going to go soon, I don't know what I would do. It would totally throw off my plan, but and I would either put my kids in school for a year to write a book, or I would keep them home and love on them and pour into them and just say, you know what, if I'm not here to teach it, somebody else is going to teach it, you know, a pass on the baton to someone else. So, and I don't know what I would do, but uh, whatever it, whatever it ended up being, I would accept it. I would choose to accept before I decided. Yeah, I like that. Yeah, it goes back to that word, right? Accept and surrender. Yeah. Yes. So this is my last question. What are three things about life you know for sure as of today? I would say that life is beautiful. Say it's a beautiful gift. That makes it one, right? Life is a beautiful gift. I know. I know that life is a beautiful gift. Um. I guess to tag on that too, I would say that I know that there there is a broader perspective in which love is sovereign and everything makes sense from a cosmic loving perspective and that we can trust that even when we see terrible things or hear terrible stories or we don't want to accept things that are in our lives or other people's lives. Um, love is, life is a beautiful gift. It's beautiful. It's beautiful. It's a gift. There is a bigger perspective that is loving and we can trust that it's there even when we don't understand the details. Um, one, one more thing that I know to be true. I've, I know that I, that I am exactly where I am supposed to be right now. And I would tell everyone, I believe, believe that you are where you are supposed to be right now. I, I went to the store and looked at so many art things for my wall. And I brought one home that says so, something like, darling, well, now I don't remember. But it basically says where, you're, where you are is where you're supposed to be. And, and it's, it's on my wall in my bedroom. And I read it many times a day. And... Yeah, I think that's a truth for our generation. And that's that's the heart of acceptance. You have to, to at least ask for faith and ask for the grace to accept that you are where you're supposed to be right now. That's the first step in, in moving forward into the next moment. Wow. Thank you so much for your wisdom, your love, your beautiful energy. Thank you, Alicia. Oh, thank you so much for having me. Thank me. This has been amazing. Yeah, really beautiful. Where can we find more information about you, your books, products, services, and future projects? 
my website is aliciasouladventure.com. You can find me there. I, I'm, I'm up in the air a bunch with what I'm doing, but I know that I'm going to write another book. And, and I know that for the foreseeable future, I'm going to be doing some coaching. I'm currently taking on coaching clients. So if anybody's interested, you can re- reach out through my website. Um, yeah. And then I've got a bunch of different projects, but I'm having to figure out which ones to focus on. But if you go to aliciasouladventure.com, you can follow me on social, uh, sign up for my newsletter. You can get the first, I have several offers, but you can get the first couple chapters of my book for free. Yeah. Wonderful. Thank you so much again. And um, we'll talk soon. Okay. Sounds great. Thank you so much. Thank Alicia. Bye for now. Thank you for listening. To learn more about Alicia Eichmann, please visit her website, aliciasouladventure.com. To learn more about this podcast, please visit fitforjoy.org slash podcast. I want to thank the Patreon members, Lawrence McGrath, Mark Basden, Terry Clayton, and Aidan Bickrock. Thank you again for listening, and bye for now. Thank you.